The St. Louis Art Museum has an exemplary collection of German art with pieces that predate German unification in 1871 and take their cues from history throughout the 20th century and beyond. I think that's one of the things that this show does deal with, and especially with the post-war turn, is you have these moments where we know what happens in history, but the artists didn't. So mm -hmm. you see these kind of pregnant possibilities at different moments. So, you know, you're dealing with expressionism at the verge and into World War One, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, in the Weimar Republic. And then you have artists who are actually working in the 70s and 80s who are looking back at Nazi Germany from the position of having been children during the war and thinking about what it means for their society to you know deal with the atrocities of the Holocaust and then you have artists who are really working around 1989 who don't know that the Cold War is going to end but then you know the wall falls and everything kind of opens up. And before we move on, I want to remind you that the biggest source of St. Louis Public Radio's funding comes from listeners like you. Because you value what you hear on St. Louis on the Air, donate today. Go to stlpr.org donate. That's stlpr.org donate. I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. The St. Louis Art Museum's collection of German works isn't just the classics, the Max Beckmanns and Gerhard Richter's famous painting Betty. And it's not just paintings. You can also find furniture and even draperies. The collection is said to be unparalleled outside of Germany itself. Curators boast that it contains work from every major post-war and contemporary German artist, in addition to many of the, old, the older eminences. And now those holdings are front and center at the museum. That's thanks to a new exhibit titled Storm of Progress, German Art After 1800. And here to discuss it with us today is Hannah Clem. She's an associate curator of modern and contemporary art at the St. Louis Art Museum and also co-curator of this show. So Hannah Clem, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So the title Storm of Progress, it's so evocative. What's the thinking on that name? So yes, the title is really interesting. It actually uh, came from a quote from a German Jewish cultural theorist named Walter Benjamin, who died fleeing the Holocaust um, right at you know the beginning of World War II. Hmm. But he talks about history in one of his essays as a powerful storm. And he refers to this storm as a storm of progress. And he talks about how the winds of this storm of progress propel humanity into an uncertain future. And so we thought this was a really interesting title for this exhibition that looks at art from 1800 all the way to the present with so many historical moments and contingencies of modernity in it, but also of our current moment and how we can really look at art as showcasing how history really informs the present. Hmm. I understand this show kind of came together for pandemic reasons. It, it wasn't necessarily easy to get the pieces you'd normally get from other museums. The pandemic has made that all very difficult. And so you looked at your own collection. But it sounds like you're able to find some resonances um, within this collection of works that maybe you didn't even realize on the front end. Absolutely. I mean, this was an exhibition that was born out of necessity, but I think has ended up to be a really wonderful highlight of the St. Louis Art Museum, its collecting practices, and you know the art we have in, in the city of St. Louis. So we were going to have an international loan show with many of the loans coming from London, and this was supposed to start shipping right around you know, the lockdowns and closures, and Europe was under such pressure, and it just ended up becoming untenable 
for many institutions across the world. Mm -hmm. And so we did. We turned to our own collection, and we have this amazing, renowned collection of German art. But we had to really think about what we could do to show the city of St. Louis something different, because we've done three pretty major exhibitions of German art in the last 25 years. And so we really wanted to look at some of the early works as well as the contemporary works and put them together in a way that we never had. And we have a few major acquisitions that we uh, purchased in the last few years, like a Cusper David Friedrich painting that really allowed the narrative to go from 1800 to the present. I thought it was interesting. You know, this show contains works that, that predate Germany's formation as a country. That didn't happen until 1871. Is there a unifying idea of German art even before there was a Germany? In some ways, yes. But one of the things that we're looking about is these contingencies on history and how history really informs aesthetic practice and how culture at times rather than naturehood kind of forms the basis of collective identity. So even though there wasn't a singular Germany in the modern sense, there was a loose collection of principalities with shared cultures. So that's one of the things we try to draw out is how this notion of Germany and Germanness and German art really changed and you know, it was affected by history for, you know, over 200 years. Hmm. It seems like we hear so much about all these artists who hung out in Paris. Was there a comparable art scene in the German-speaking world? Um, that's interesting. And, and yes and no. And, you know, all these things are specific. But Berlin had a really robust art scene. And it depends on when you're talking about in the post-war era, Dusseldorf and Cologne had incredible art scenes. That's where Gerhard Richter was at. Uh, the Dusseldorf Art Academy boasted one of the best art schools in the world. And Joseph Boyce was this renowned professor who had an entire generation of students that really changed the art world. And I think that's one of the things about this show that's so interesting is I think people will see a different side of German art. It's still a little dark at times, as it does get with German history. But I think it also showcases the breadth of German art production over a, quite a long period of time. Hmm. One of the most striking paintings for me in this show, this is Village on the Sea. And this came out of this group that's called Die Brücke. Um, and I, I find it's interesting. There's a parallel there. They're talking about being a bridge to the future in that group at the same time that this storm of progress is talking about the uncertain future. Does the show kind of grapple with that? Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that this show does deal with, and especially with the post-war turn, is you have these moments where we know what happens in history, but the artists didn't. So mm -hmm. you see these kind of pregnant possibilities at different moments. So, you know, you're dealing with expressionism at the verge and into World War One, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, in the Weimar Republic. And then you have artists who are actually working in the 70s and 80s who are looking back at Nazi Germany from the position of having been children during the war and thinking about what it means for their society to, you know, deal with the atrocities of the Holocaust. And then you have artists who are really working around 1989 who don't know that the Cold War is going to end, but then, you know, the wall falls and everything kind of opens up. So we hope that the chronological elements help people also see how history was always kind of playing with itself. It's this kind of contingency of the culture and history. Hmm. So you think you want to be a bridge to the future. The future ends up being this <laughs> terrible place. <laughs> but the art still stands. <laughs> and Absolutely. Th and this painting, which which so struck me, I think it's very interesting. This village on the sea, this was part of the famous show of degenerate art that the Nazis put together here. What made, um, what made this type of painting degenerate in the eyes of the Nazis? I mean, 
it, it was modernist. Um, it didn't showcase. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, yes, it was enough. But also, it has to do with the lack of naturalistic representation. Um, the Nazis really believed in a very classical figure and this very specific idea of progress within an idealized Aryan race. And they very much stuck to that in artwork. And so the works that they chose as degenerate were ones that they would compare to works by people in, you know, mental hospitals or children. And they would say, this isn't art. This isn't, doesn't have any of the skills. And they used it as a way to reduce these kind of works to unimportant, you know, unqualified works of art to the German people. And many, tons of people in Germany saw the degenerate art show. It actually had a profound impact propagandistically on how people in Germany saw art all the way up until the after aftermath of World War II. Hmm. Did it backfire in some ways? I mean, some of this art is so sensational. You'd think you'd see it and, and your your mind might light up in a way the Nazis didn't intend. I mean, they were actually afraid of that. And they would, there were some artists who were absolutely anti-fascist and absolutely anti-Nazi that they didn't put in the degenerate art. So the most famous example is a uh, an artist named John Hartfield, who we don't actually have represented in the collection, but his work was seen as exactly that. It might actually inspire an anti-fascist mentality of people. So there was some consideration of that. Hmm. But they also installed the exhibition to be kind of ugly and grotesque intentionally to kind of take away from the quality of the artwork. So they would write on the walls or they put it next to things um, that they thought were particularly ugly as reference hmm. materials. So there was a real attempt to make this artwork seem like it's not art. And then it would be juxtaposed against the highly classicized and classical images of the quote unquote Nazi art. Hmm. So the framing really can make a huge difference in, in how we see these things. Um, and we're grateful for the good framing on this. That's a great <laughs> contrast to what the Nazis were up to. One of the other intersections with 20th century German politics is, as you point out in this show, so many of these young German artists artists ended up serving in the Great War. Uh, this is what ended up being known in history as, as World War I. How did that affect the work that they were making coming out of it? Oh, World War I really highly affected our practice in Germany. Um, just the destruction, the suffering, um, the physical kind of wounds changed the way people saw humanity in many ways, and it really did affect artists. And we do have a room in the exhibition that specifically deals with the war and its aftermath and kind of showcases the real trauma of the war and some of the works they're a little they're a little difficult because there was this you know confrontation with trauma that I think was kind of new for this generation. Hmm. And I also do want to note, um, I mentioned earlier this painting, Betty. This is from 1988. Uh, the Washington Post art critic recently called it, quote, arguably the most famous image by the most acclaimed artist alive. This is a huge deal. What makes this painting such a big deal? Oh, this is, it's, it's just a iconic painting. We kind of internally joke. It's like the Mona Lisa of our contemporary collection. Um, and here you have it here in St. Louis. I mean, that's amazing. Yes. Uh, so I think that it touches people because it is so, it is a really tender portrayal. So it's actually a painting from 1988 by the German artist Gerhard Richter, but it was based on a 1970, 1978 photograph of his 11-year-old daughter, Betty. And in this photograph, she's looking away from the camera and actually looking at one of Richter's kind of monochromatic paintings. But the way he's cropped the image, it's kind of hard to tell she's looking at a painting. It just kind of looks like she's looking out into this gray background and she's wearing this 
kind of red and white flowered uh, sweater. And it's just, it's gorgeous. But I think it really touches on that kind of photorealism, not seeing her face. It's really poignant and tender, but it also becomes kind of metaphoric for kind of looking back on history and looking back on art, which was one of the things he was interested in was how it kind of played with the idea of, you know, what art is and what painting is, looking at photography, looking at your personal work, looking at, you know, not a face, but a image of a girl. And I think that there's a lot there. Mm -hmm. Now, the most recent painting that's included in the show, this is from 2012. This is by a female artist. That's uh, Beata Gutcho. Um, this is a landscape It feels almost old-fashioned. It's, it's a very striking piece. Are there many other female artists who are included in the show? Or are the, the Germans, for the most part, there's a lot of men that dominate? <laughs> there's a lot of men that dominate. But we do have some really wonderful works by women artists. In the first half of the show, we have a a recent acquisition um, by Gabriella Munter that's an expressionist painting. She was uh, Vasily Kandinsky's partner and it's a really wonderful painting. And then we have some works by Ketty Kulvitz who became a real activist and socialist artist in the uh, World War I era. And then in the post-war era, we do get more art, more women artists, um, and we tried to showcase that. And this Bieda Gutschow photograph is really amazing. We actually have two photographs by really important German contemporary women uh, photographers. But this one's interesting because it's entirely digitally constructed. So it looks like a landscape, hmm. kind of reminiscent of your classical Dutch landscape. And those really were inspirational to German romantics. So you see this kind of history of art in it. But it's actually this kind of meticulous simulation where she's digitally combined tons of images of other places, public parks, construction sites, urban centers, and blended them together to create this landscape. Hmm. And so it kind of becomes an image that's about the process of the construction of image, which I think for us now, we really like have a much more di digital literacy in terms of image construction. But it's really interesting. That's so cool. I'm going to I'm going to have to look at that one so much more closely. I had no idea on the backstory. We just have a, a, a just a little bit of time left here today. But what's one other work you would want to mention to people? This is something you might want to check out if you go see Storm of Progress. Oh man, obviously that's hard for us because we <laughs> I'm love you all to choose between works. your babies, sorry. <laughs> but yes, I have one that's my personal favorite and it's a work by Sigmar Polka who's kind of the counterpart to Gerhard Richter. I think Gerhard Richter has become more has more name recognition now, but Polka and Richter worked along the same time frames. Um, but we have a one of his famous cloth paintings. So he made paintings on everyday cloth that he stretched like canvas. And we have one from the 1980s where he actually took an image of the Time magazine cover from 1983, where Time, instead of doing a person of the year like they do every year, actually named the computer the person of the year. They said it was the machine of the year. So <laughs> 1983, you have the computer being called out and Polka makes this painting in the same year. And it's kind of playing on all those Cold War technology, you know, kind of ideas. So it's like the space race, the race towards computerization. Okay. That, that sounds wonderful. We're going to encourage people to check that out. That is Hannah Clem's favorite painting. Um, and Hannah Clem, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And Hannah is the Associate Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the St. Louis Art Museum. Storm of Progress is on display through February 28th. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. 
and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.